1: Hello and welcome to the Rosh Markhanzi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on ESPN 1090 in Southern California, 98.5 The Fan in Las Vegas, and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network, and the Sports Map Radio Network. It's Legends of Sport Friday, and as always every Friday, joined by the one and only, it's Andy Bernstein. Hey Andy, how are you? I'm great, Arash. How you doing, pal? I'm good. I'm very excited about this. You know, listen, I am a USC Trojan, but that being said, USC does not (laughs) have a gymnastics team. So when it comes to gymnastics, I can say I am a UCLA fan. And Miss Val is just a iconic name. Again, you're known for, you know, the Showtime Lakers, Michael Jordan, Dream Team. Tell me how this conversation came to be.
0: Well, I got to tell you, Arash, um, it was one of my most enjoyable conversations. And it's interesting because I didn't know anything about Valerie condos field before I interviewed her. Um, Her book came across my radar. Her book is called life is short. Don't wait to dance. And I, I had read a great article, I believe in the LA times or something about her retirement. Um, And I was just fascinated by her, by her story, by her journey. Um, You know, in a nutshell, she coached for 29 seasons at, at UCLA, um, seven national championships, 18 Pac-12 championships, and she was four-time national coach of the year. Um, an amazing story. I mean, cancer survivor, inspirational. We had a um, very deep conversation um, about Kobe and the Mamba Mentality. Um, so this is an episode we like to call classic, which is a um, – you know we we re-released these really amazing interviews that we've done over the 6 years and she's definitely at the top of the list that we recorded this in uh, February I believe of 2019 released it then and uh, I'm thrilled to be able to release it again this week.
1: You've shot so many big moments, iconic events. Have you shot gymnastics? What's on your list of events or sports you have not shot? <laughs>
0: Well, you know, as a young photographer, Rosh, I I shot a lot of, I shot every sport known to men um, and women. (laughs) Um, Everything from like horse racing and water polo to gymnastics and of course all the major sports and tennis and a little golf. I didn't have a lot of patience for golf, I got to tell you. But um, gymnastics always fascinated me. Um, Obviously, we've all, you know, we all fell in love with gymnastics, um, you know, watching at the Olympics and stuff. And you know, I have three daughters. So when I met uh, Miss Val, she invited us to one of their meets at UCLA, and my daughter was, you know, she was what about eleven or, or ten then, and we took a bunch of her little friends, and it was just so wonderful. Um, what a great experience! I don't know if you ever been to a, gym- a full on gymnastics meet. It is insane, man. There's like seven things going on at once, but it's it's amazing. It's so and the the artistry and. The artistic, you know, the um, athletic ability of these women were just off the chart.
1: And the cool thing about it, it is such an iconic, uh, you know, their gymnasts have these routines that go viral, you know, millions Mm -hmm. and millions of views. Real quick, before we go to the clip, what, 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 you know, when, when a conversation like this happens, tell me what that's like for you because generally you talk to people that you know well what is it like to talk to someone new well i I tell you i i really get off on on doing the
0: research um my producer at the time veronica was super helpful and um you know we dive deep into the person's history of course you know i I read her book and uh, you know i talked to a couple of people who knew her and um and then, you know, I feel like I'm going fresh into a conversation. You know, it's wonderful to have a, a, a chat with somebody that I know and I've been around like a Magic or Kobe or David Sturd or whomever. Um, sometimes that there's too much to talk about. You know, there's so much history there and you have to drill down and sort of get down to, you know, five or six things you really want to talk about during the conversation. So... With Miss Val, um, I had a lot to talk about. And, you know, having three daughters, the fact that, you know, she was a ballet dancer. Mm. <laughs> and she got hired to choreograph the UCLA women's gymnastics team because she was so, such an artistic ballet dancer. <laughs> it was like mind blowing. And she, she actually questioned the athletic director. You sure you called the right person? You <laughs> yeah. know, so I love stories like that.
1: Yeah. Uh, all right. So, without further ado, another classic. So many of these that we're so pl- privileged to have on Legends of Sport Friday. Let's now hear it. It's Andy with Miss Val. All
2: righty. Well, welcome to another episode of Legends of Sport. Today, we have UCLA gymnastics coach Valerie Condos field or Miss Val, which I, I've been told I need to refer to you as Miss Val, with us on our show. Uh, it's an honor to have you in the studio and to be part of our podcast. Um, you've accomplished so much, not just as a coach, but in actual real life. <laughs> and your story, to me, is incredibly compelling. I'd like to start from the beginning, as we usually do, is how people got off the ground, how they became who they are. But you kind of took a roundabout route to become a gymnastics coach. Um, born in Sacramento, right? Yes. Classical pianist, yes. Dancer, yes. So, how the heck do you become a gymnastics coach?
3: Serendipity, the <laughs> yeah. universe. Um, I was 16 years old, and it was 1976, mm-hmm. and I wanted a summer job. I was a ballet dancer, mm-hmm. obviously in high school, and I loved gymnastics, mm-hmm. and my parents would not let me stop dancing, and I was also a classical pianist, so mm-hmm. they're like, your plate is full enough. No, we're not adding gymnastics. And so I called up a local gym, and I asked them if they needed a dance coach, mm-hmm. and they said they didn't have money for that. And somehow, in the conversation, they found out that I played the piano. And a little trivia here. Mm-hmm. Before 1980, floor exercise music for gymnasts could only be one instrument.
2: Huh. And was it live? <coughs> it like, was well, a- they
3: what? had compulsories as yeah. well as optional routines. Uh-huh. And oftentimes, the compulsories were played live. Okay. So I played the compulsories, and I composed and edited. Floor music can only be in a minute 30. Mm. So I had in my living room set up our cassette tape recorder with two little microphones on my dining room chairs and I would record their their floor music and anybody that knows me knows I can't keep my mouth shut when I really want to say something and feel it's important to say it so I would start saying get your head up point your feet stop the music you know yeah um, and out of high school I graduated two years later um, I remember I was going to. I was still dancing with the Sacramento Ballet, and wanted to go to college because I love love school. My mm-hmm. parents were strong advocates of of college education, but my dad's an artist, and my dad said to me, um, "You know, if you want to dance, then you need to do that now. You can always go back to to college," mm. and that gave me permission to follow my dream as a dancer and not feel guilty mm. for not going to college right out of high school. Mm. And so I did that and I danced professionally and I was in Washington, D.C. and I was getting ready to start my first season with the Washington Ballet and I heard that UCLA needed a dance coach for their gymnastics team. Well, I love college. Mm. I missed yeah. school. I'd been out for four years mm-hmm. and I figured the worst thing they can say is no. Yeah. So i found out who the head coach was, and I called him up, and I gave him my resume, and he I'll never forget when he said, we don't have a salary to offer you, but I can offer you a, a full scholarship. Wow. And I was like, done yeah. and
2: done. Wow, that's like divine intervention. It right is. There. The two things you love, and, and you don't have to pay for it.
3: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's,
2: that's pretty amazing. Um, but you know one thing you just said right there is that the, the UCLA gymnastics team needed a dance coach like to me I would never put those two things together that I mean I I realize you know for their routines that somehow it has to get choreographed I never imagined how that happened even you know even with figure skating that there must be a choreographer I guess involved with that so There
3: is a choreographer yeah. involved and with most teams they rely on either the student or the athletes helping to piecemeal together their routines, Mm -hmm. or the female coach on the staff maybe have been a good dancer and she can craft together a routine. Mm. I am the only gymnastics coach at my level that has the pedigree that I have in mm, dance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I yeah. came to UCLA and I was their choreographer. Amazing.
2: I, um, just a little bit about me. M- my middle daughter, who is now 23, is a professional dancer. She knew she wanted to dance since she was two years old. She thought she wanted to be a ballerina. And when she was 14, she announced that she hated wearing point shoes. And <laughs> <laughs> so she gravitated towards modern dancing contemporary now she's living and working in philadelphia and commuting to new york for auditions wow. and performances and stuff so i've been taking little girls mm-hmm. you know i have three daughters and now mm-hmm. my youngest one is almost eleven and she's been dancing since she was little to dance class and stuff and uh it never crossed my mind that gymnastics could be a, nat- a natural sort of i don't know segue or or because these kids do so much these mm-hmm. days. And you know that they have to pick something along the way. Right. But it seems amazing to me that that you had two somethings. Like you had this whole life as a dancer, professional right. dancer. I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, being, right. a, being a professional ballerina um, for major dance companies is a career in itself.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So do you ever sit back and, and think about, I mean, just the amazing experience of having basically two professional lives?
3: Yes and no um, because I wasn't born to be a ballet dancer. I am not naturally flexible and as I was told many times in auditions... As they stand there, and you stand there, and they walk up and down, they look at you, and I was told so many times, oh, your head is too big, (laughs) and your neck is too short, and your feet are too small. Mm. And it's like, and what am I supposed to do with that information? (laughs) Um, So I got cast a lot of um, character parts. Like in Peter and the Wolf, I was the wolf. Oh, okay. Um, Gotcha. So when I I decided to retire, had I had I grown up like a decade later I probably would have been a jazz dancer Mm. but they didn't really have like that whole Paula Abdul era Mm. didn't come into play until I was already at UCLA. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of
2: trivia about Paul Abdul, yes. I actually photographed her when she was a Laker girl, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we've stayed good friends. <clears throat> That's and she so cool. actually just called me a couple of weeks ago. She's going out on tour, and she's going to be bringing back like the Laker girl thing in some way, shape, or form during her That's concert. So cool. and Needed photos, you know, for, yeah. <laughs> to show her dancing in that era. But um, yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean and to. And people interrupt.
3: don't know just how yeah. much she choreographed. Oh yeah, you know, for the Jacksons and all that, not just the Lakers, but they don't realize. Yeah. For sure, the breath of her resume. Yeah, yeah incredible.
2: Um, all right, so fast forward, you go, you go out to UCLA and essentially hired as a mm-hmm. as a dance co- as a choreographer. Mm-hmm. How do you then become the head coach and probably one of the most successful female head coaches of all time in the sport? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, uh, I graduated with a degree in history and mm-hmm. I wanted to go be a journalist, mm-hmm. but I was still choreographing the routines for the team. Mm. And two years or so after I graduated, the senior women's administrator, the athletic director, calls me in her office and says, we're going to make a change with our head coaching position. And we would like for you to be the new head coach. And I thought I just laughed out loud immediately. (laughs) She says I was catatonic for about 30 seconds. (laughs) And then I laughed and I said, you understand, I don't know the first thing about gymnastics. Uh. And she said... I've observed how you work with the student-athletes, and I really like how you're tough with them, but you're compassionate. Hmm. And she said, I trust you'll figure the rest out. Wow. Okay.
2: <laughs> and this is at some like, junior college in right. Iowa. We're no. talking about UCLA. And we
3: had finished second the yeah. year before.
2: Oh, my goodness. We'd lost
3: by half of a tenth. Wow. So we weren't a shluppy team. No. We were a
2: great team. But what a daunting. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, a lot of people would have shied away from that. Said, look, I, I can't do it. I'm not ready. I don't know. I, you know, I'm not trained. But you just took it on. You, right? I took
3: it on and I failed miserably mm-hmm. um, the first few years. Mm-hmm. So
2: what did you learn from that? That, well we always talk about that here what I, do we learn from our right. failures yeah
3: um <clears throat> i the only thing i knew about athletics was what i'd observed you know in movies or on tv and so in my mind a coach was someone like a pat summit mm. or a bobby knight or mm. a marta caroli
2: okay just
3: unwavering.
2: Yeah, hard ass. Just, exactly. Yeah, right.
3: So I thought... Do well, it
2: my I, way or oh, no way. Yeah.
3: I don't know how to do anything else, but I can act. I grew up on stage. I can act like a coach. <laughs> So I did. I love it. <laughs> and I yeah. learned to say all their little quips, you know, that are really mean-spirited. And we did horribly. And so I thought, well, I just need to act better. Yeah. So I was m- more mean and more stern the next year. And we did even worse. We didn't even make it to the national championships. Ooh, boy. And true story, I was on my way to resign. And I, I honestly didn't feel like I had failed. I don't believe in the term failure anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I just felt like, duh, I told you I wasn't the right person for this job <laughs> right and i was walking through the student store and i happened upon one of coach wooden's books on leadership mm-hmm. and it happened to open to his definition of success oh come on that's just amazing it is i know when wow. they write the movie yeah. this is like the Yaha moment yeah right and Spotlight. the angels sing in the heavens part right and, and i read his definition of success which if you're a sports person mm-hmm. you know yeah. doesn't mention winning right Success is peace of mind in knowing you've done your best. Mm. And I kept reading it over and over, because here was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, coach that ever lived. He'd won 10 national championships. I am a coach in athletics. You're hired to win. Mm-hmm. That is your definition of success.
2: Especially at a major university. At a
3: major uh, university. Division one, yeah. That had won a lot of championships. Right. And I kept reading it. And it says, success is peace of mind and knowing you have done your best and at that moment i had the biggest aha moment of my life success is peace of mind in knowing you have done your best i had been trying to be somebody else mm. and at that moment i realized when you try to be somebody else you will always be a second rate them i would never be as good at pat summit being pat summit as mm. she's being pat summit mm. and and the worst thing about it is it prevents you from being a first-rate you. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I didn't resign, and I went back to, I was going to say my office, but we didn't have offices, we had cubicles. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I was hired for a reason. They saw something in me. What do I bring to the table coaching gymnasts? Is it? I did 17 years of classical ballet training. I knew what it was like to work through pain mm-hmm. point shoes sure. many torture yeah. chambers right <laughs> yeah. i knew what it was like to be a uh-huh. young woman and have to get into a leotard every day mm. i knew about body shaming mm-hmm. i knew what it was like to have to go through puberty mm-hmm. and that
1: mm-hmm. i
3: knew most importantly i knew how to prepare physically mentally and emotionally so when i was standing in the wings mm-hmm. i was calm excited and confident mm. Wow. Even though there were buckets there for <laughs> some of the principal dancers or soloists that got so nervous, they would throw up. Oy. okay. Yeah. And when I looked at our athletes, yeah. gymnasts waiting in the wings is when they're standing there waiting for the judge to salute them before they go up on an event. Mm-hmm. I knew I could prepare them to be confident with their performances as well if not better than any other gymnastics coach in the country. Mm-hmm. I just had to hire really good people to actually teach the gymnastics part. Right, But I could do <laughs> the rest of it yeah. as well if not better than anybody else. And once I started just like etch-and-sketched everything that I knew and started implementing everything that I had learned in the ballet studio and on stage, hmm. that's when we started having success, as in winning. Part of it is... I'm at UCLA I get to recruit some of the best mm. talent in the world yeah I was going right? ask you
2: about that yeah. coach
3: wouldn't always just say you can't win without talent Right. so yes. it wasn't just that my methods were so brilliant yeah but um, hmm. and I'll never ever ever forget one of my seniors said uh, a few years later she said Miss Val you finally became a leader worth following yeah huh because you were true to yourself and not trying to be somebody else
2: Mm, yeah yeah it's very similar to to somebody asked kobe very early in his career about being the next michael jordan he goes i have no interest in being the next michael jordan i want to be the first kobe (laughs)
3: that's great you know and after we won i think it was 2004 we'd won four championships in five years la times did a piece on uh... me and coach wooden Mm -hmm. and they said they listed all these accolades and of mine, and they said you're becoming the next John Wooden. Mm. And before I could respond, yeah. Coach, you know, with his eyes, yeah. arms crossed, and his yeah. blue eyes twinkling, yeah. said, "Why would she want to be another John Wooden when <laughs> she can be a great Valerie Condos Field?" <laughs> <laughs> well, good for him. Mic drop. I yeah. didn't even answer the question. He,
2: yeah. Well, what a blessing that you could be around him, mm-hmm. and that. Uh, What an epiphany of this book thing. I mean, what a story that is. You're literally going to resign.
3: I was going to resign. On my way to resign. Unbelievable story. And I'm not proud to say, like Mm -hmm. when I say I studied other coaches, Mm -hmm. he wasn't one of them I studied. Mm -hmm. I'd never met him. Yeah, Um, Mm -hmm. We trained in the John Wooden gym. Yeah, And I think, like people ask me, why wasn't he the first one? for you to study as a mentor and and I think it's because he really wasn't that charismatic.
2: Mm, yeah, yeah. You know, he yeah. wasn't
3: a big personality. Right. Right, 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 right. Like a Bobby Knight.
2: Yeah. Well, he talked about his, you know, your reputation shouldn't you shouldn't be judged by what you st- how many trophies you win your character it should be your reputation and i'm paraphrasing of course but he uh you know bill walton of course adored coach Mm -hmm. wooden in every interview he manages to get a coach wooden anecdote
1: (laughs) or quoted Mm -hmm. there one of my favorite guys okay let's leave it there for now but what an amazing conversation all these are amazing conversations so when we come back some more Legends of Sport Friday right here on the Arash Markazi show presented by the Sporting Tribune when we come back on the Mightier 1090 in Southern California, the Fan in Las Vegas the Hawaii Sports Radio Network and the Sports Map Radio Network
0: We'll be right back with the Arash Markazi show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio This is the Arash Markazi show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Still clam
1: the when we come around. Welcome back to the Arash Markazi show, presented by the Sporting Tribune on ESPN 1090 in Southern California, 98.5 The Fan in Las Vegas, the Hawaii Sports Radio Network, and the Sports Map Radio Network. It's Legends of Sport Friday with Andy Bernstein. So, Andy, we we just heard the first part of that conversation, but this is an extensive conversation. And and as we do each and every Friday, we're just playing a portion. How can folks just being immersed in this conversation hear the whole thing?
0: Well, they got to go to the
1: podcast. So, you know, you can find the
0: podcast on all podcast platforms. We're hosted by iHeart, but of course you can get an yeah. Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast. You can go to our website, which then will link you to that this week's podcast as well as all of our content. Um, that's uh, LegendsOfSport.net and our Instagram at LegendsOfSport, our Twitter at, Le- at Legends underscore of Sport. So we're we're all over the place, so even on LinkedIn under my personal LinkedIn um, Andrew D Bernstein. So. I hope people will will really um, take the time to check out this interview. Um, you know, we had actually a lot of people originally in the first release of this, and we got such great response that. Um, and we pay attention to that. We yeah. pay attention to the DMs. We pay attention to to all the reactions that we get through the through the different platforms on our social media. And um, I would love to do a follow up with with yeah. Miss Valiant. She's been retired now what three years, three and a half years. And I'd love to know what she's up to, you know, so I'm going to reach out to her after this interview and uh, I'm going to send her all the links and stuff and, and reconnect. You know, she had um, an ongoing conversation with Kobe, yeah, uh, who I introduced her to, and they were actually formulating some ways to collaborate before he passed away. And um, I want to find out, you know, maybe she's, uh, she's continued those conversations with Vanessa and then we can have her back on and talk about that. So, you know, I feel like I made a great friend, honestly. That's one of the, I tell you, Arash, you know, you and I have been friends a long time. You know, our our work life, you know, kind of overlaps our personal life. And, and, you know, of course, all the players and coaches and executives I've come in contact with, they're all friends as well. But when I get to make a new friend through my work, you know, and through this platform of Legends of Sport, it is such a, a bonus, such a treat. Um and it's it's really something I didn't count on when I first started the podcast quite
1: honestly. The you know we knew Kobe the player and you've done such an amazing job of chronicling his entire career how he um, impacted so many people. I had no mm-hmm. idea until his passing. You talked to football players and basketball players and hockey oh. players and gymnastics. What do you think it was about? And by the way Kobe like as you know Wanted to meet all these people. He wanted to meet the best producers, the best directors, the best gymnastics. Play. What was it about him?
0: Well, I mean, when you get to that level, when you're talking about a Miss Val or or somebody who's achieved anything in any sport or art form or business, he wanted to meet greats that were just like him. You know, who had reached that extra level. I call it like the extra gear of life. Yeah. Um, so he, he was famous for that. It's the second uh, pillar of the mama mentality is curiosity mm-hmm. is reaching out to people who have achieved greatness in their field to sort of compare notes, you know, like what makes your juices flow? You know, what makes your edge run? What's the secret sauce in your life? And we know how that turned out with John Williams, who he called like blindly, you know, he calls John Williams, gets his cell phone number. All of a sudden he's partnering with this multi multi Academy award winning composer and Glenn Keane who's you know a world-renowned animator and they create the basketball short you know the, uh, the Academy award-winning deer basketball short so you know this is this is what he he brought to the world this is what we all miss one of the things we miss about him was his curiosity and the long conversations we would have just about life or about what I do for a living and how I approach my craft and my job and that's what made um, actually doing the Mamba Mentality book such a treat for me because we got to sort of combine our en- energies together. And I miss him. I miss him every day. But what I took from his legacy will will stay on with me forever.
1: Yeah. And by the way, this is what I love so much about these conversations that you have. There is a trust that you form when you take these amazing pictures. And I think that that same trust is there when they talk with you. So with that with that said, here's the second part of the conversation. It's Andy. In Miss Val.
3: And so that's why, you know, I keep coming back to Coach Wooden's definition of success. It really is about being at the end of the day, being in the, have a little debrief with yourself and just saying, did I do my best today? Mm -hmm. Did I, as an athlete, did I eat well? Mm -hmm. Am I getting enough sleep? Did I hydrate? Did I drink too much alcohol? Did I... As mm-hmm. a student, did I actually pay attention in class? And and if you can check off all those boxes and say yes, then you deserve to feel successful. You don't have to be at the top of the podium. You don't have to get an A. You don't have to get perfect SATs mm-hmm. to feel successful in life. And that's one reason why um, the best example of that we have today is Caitlin Ohashi, mm-hmm. our young athlete our senior that went viral mm-hmm. and that's been on every talk show mm-hmm. the last week and you know sadly as as she's gotten over 50 60 million views now there are people that are just so mean-spirited commenting about her body and her thighs and she's not the typical looking gymnast well yeah at all right but she is at the top of her game she is bringing joy to the world mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with her integrity that she's given this sport mm-hmm. and I just like whenever I go to speak in gyms and all that I say I will show up and I'll speak but I want to be able to talk to the parents mm-hmm. we have got to change how we parent we've got to change how we coach mm-hmm. we've got to change our definition of success and I feel that the gym that the United States gymnastics needs to show the rest of the world how you can train champions in a joyful, healthy manner. Mm. And it's our job to show the world how to do that because we're the ones that are under this microscope right now.
2: Right. So it, it seems like things are changing with, with this young athlete because um, she's achieving incredible marks and scores mm-hmm. and doesn't look like the cookie-cutter gymnast mm-hmm. that at least you know myself and a lot of people probably think should look like. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I, as you're speaking, I'm thinking like of Serena Williams. Like, right. You know... Probably, arguably the greatest women's tennis player of all time, not just his generation. Right. And she doesn't look like a tennis player. No. <laughs> right? right. But why does she have to look like anything? Right. She's a great tennis player. Right. Yeah. Um, wow. So tell us what, what excites you about coaching. I mean, is it is it the competition? I mean, it's probably a whole bunch of stuff. But what really do you enjoy just being around the athletes? Do you enjoy you know give us kind of a an overview of of your life your what ge- keeps you kind of motivated every day
3: early on as a head coach i had to figure out my why why was i going to do this mm-hmm. because one day it hit me as i was walking into the athletic department that there was i think the budget at that time was 50 million dollars or something is being spent on bragging rights, <laughs> and then I thought about pee wee football and the Olympics and NFL and blah, all athletics was about being able to say, "Ha ha, we beat you!" Mm. And I thought, "Ooh, there has to be more to this than bragging rights." Mm. And then I realized that the athletes and the coaches actually are the ones that learn really 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 tough lessons through their sports. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why we young people, mm-hmm. that's why I think we need to put PE back in the schools. Mm-hmm. Um because there are things that you don't learn in a classroom. Yeah. You don't learn about perseverance, you don't learn about team being a team player, you don't learn about sacrificing yourself for the Goodness of the team. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like Taya Sedney came up to me one time in our gym, and he said, "Miss Val, you have the toughest sport." And I said, "Why?" And He goes, "There's nobody to pass the ball to." <laughs> right. What a great life lesson.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. You're out there on your own. pretty Right. Much. But yeah, I mean, you but get you nervous up on team.
3: that beam. You don't. You can't jump off the beam and pass the ball and right. say, "Go finish my routine, please." <laughs> um, yeah. And so when I when I realized that and I figured out my why, and I was so. That's mm-hmm. one reason why I've stayed at UCLA so long is that athletics is not a religion mm-hmm. at UCLA. And we really honor the process of using sport to develop these champions in life mm-hmm. that then translates to the competition floor. So you ask me what I love? I don't really love the competitions. Mm-hmm. I don't even look at them as competitions. I look at them as performances. Mm-hmm. And so we mm-hmm. do all the hard work during the week, and then let's go perform and right. celebrate our hard work.
2: Uh-huh.
3: Um, but i love I love being able to train young women to become superheroes. Mm-hmm. And I love <laughs> to train them in all aspects of their life to then, when they leave us and graduate, to go out in the world mm. and really make a positive difference. Mm. Hmm.
2: so they don't have to leave you and and be this world class Olympic you know gymnast. Uh, they could go and do something else in a career, but the fact that what you left them with, what you mentored them in life um, has has to be so satisfying it to is you. yeah, and last that's year, a, wonderf- when that's we a were, wonderful thing
3: when we were going through our season, um I chose to talk about the sexual abuse scandal that was happening because mm-hmm. Our volunteer coach, Jordan Weber, had just gotten through giving her impact statement in Michigan, mm. flew to us, we were competing at Arizona, and I was mm. like, we, we're not just going to brush this on the rug and pretend like it's not happening. Right. And I knew at that point that we had some victims on our team. Mm. I didn't know who they were, I hadn't talked to them yet, but I figured out who they probably were, and I chose to talk about it. And after we won the championship, Kyla Ross, Olympic gold medalist in 2012 Mm -hmm. said in an interview she said i really feel the the fact that miss val talked to us about this she says i know for myself because she came out as a victim Mm -hmm. and she said she helped me put words to my feelings Mm -hmm. of how i was feeling and helped me to Process this mm-hmm. And she says Miss Val I actually felt myself Walk taller mm. As the season went on mm. And she said Had we not addressed it We would not have won That championship Wow
2: My goodness Wow So
3: I mean How rewarding That's For that right an-
2: amazing Yeah I, I was at the SPs Last year And I, I didn't know What was going to happen At mm-hmm. the end And here I am Trying to shoot this mm-hmm. And more and more and more women are coming on stage, and the first thing that comes to my mind is, do I have a wide enough lens mm-hmm. to get the whole stage? And they just kept coming, yeah. and I just I, I texted my wife. I said, "You're not going to believe this when when we watch it later, because it was you know mm-hmm. I was going go home. I taped it, and um, my wife is Title IX coordinator. She's the director of equity and diversity at, at Cal State LA, and now she's over at USC. Mm-hmm. So this is part of our like daily conversation had right. uh, um, wow what a, that that's an impactful story it I is mean, you know something else that isn't talked about that much is um people overcoming um, all kinds of things in life and we like to shed light on that in legends of sport athletes who've had um, you know problems with money or problems with drugs or have been able to um, seek the help and get the help and sometimes we sort of are the catalyst for that Mm -hmm. and your battle with um, breast cancer Mm -hmm. um, is something that um, I guess changed you as Mm -hmm. a person. My mom unfortunately died from breast cancer, and it's, yeah, and it was, it was, you know, it was one of those (laughs) life lessons uh, that, you know, (laughs) as a parent. um, How old were you? I was, this was uh, in 2004, so, you know, it was only 14 years ago, Mm -hmm. almost 15 now. Mm -hmm. So I was, uh, you know, I was old. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I was 45. Mm -hmm. Um, Did your perspective. And I don't want to get too philosophical or anything, but just your perspective of life and, and how you approach your job, did, did that change? Yep.
3: yep. Yeah. And I have to get philosophical because yeah. it is uh, okay. going through breast cancer changed every part of my life for the better. Mm. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't, you know, for you and your listeners, I don't know how you will translate this. Um, but when I hung up from my doctor and she said, You have a very aggressive form of breast cancer, you need to get in here immediately mm. and right. at that moment I heard very, very clearly, be anxious for nothing mm-hmm. and grateful for all things. And whether you translate that as the universe speaking to me or cosmic energy, I translated that as God speaking and saying and I heard it twice mm-hmm. be anxious for nothing and grateful for all things. And I went home to my husband. I told him the not so great news about the breast cancer. And I said, but get this. I heard, be anxious for nothing and grateful for all things. And he said, it's from the Bible. Mm -hmm. Well, I grew up Greek Orthodox.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask you, did this come from some No, I never read the Bible in English. Okay.
3: Well, I never read it in Greek. Right. Okay. (laughs) But I grew up with it. Right. I mean, Greek. I mean, Greek Orthodox. The services are in Greek. Yeah. And um, (laughs) he says, go look it up. And I was like, okay. And so I went and looked it up. And sure enough, in Philippians 4, it says, be anxious for nothing. And then paraphrased, grateful for all things. And it's like my whole world stopped. Uh-huh. And I went, I heard this before I ever read this.
2: Oh, boy. Oh, where did boy. That, where would that come from?
3: God. So then I said...
2: The same God that uh, it opened that page of, of John Wooden's yeah. book? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And
3: so, yeah. He's <laughs> uh-huh. been around a while. Right. And so... I remember thinking, this is a commandment. This is not a suggestion. Mm, mm-hmm. And I absolutely chose to obey, but I didn't know how I was going to obey because I just got diagnosed with a potentially fatal disease. Mm, mm. So. How old were you at the time? F- uh, 54. Yeah. Okay. 55. Yeah. So <clears> throat> I throat> went to my oncologist the next day, and she shows up with this big smile on her face which i thought was odd (laughs) and she says had you gotten diagnosed 10 years ago we had nothing for you Mm, mm -hmm, you've mm. gone from having the worst type of breast cancer to the best type Uh. because if you choose one of my favorite words Mm. if you choose to get chemotherapy for a year i know it's going to work Okay. And at that moment, yeah. I understood the commandment, how yeah. I was not going to be anxious through gratitude by being grateful from the fact that I didn't have to get chemo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I get to get chemo. Wow.
2: Not too many people would have looked at it that way, Coach Val.
3: <laughs> and that has changed yeah. every moment of my life since wow. then. I don't have to do whatever I don't like to I hate putting gas in my car. <laughs> I don't have to. Guess what? I get to put gas in my car because I can afford a car and I can afford the gas to put in the car. How cool is that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I have to say, uh, you know, we've done almost forty podcasts, and that's one of the most inspirational things I've heard, I've heard somebody say um, thank you. in this space. So, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's yeah, I got to process that a little mm-hmm. bit. And well, and, and
3: you know what? Okay, yeah. so as a coach, mm-hmm. right? Yes. You're on the competition floor. You're hired to win, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. and it's all out of your control right mm-hmm. now. What they do on that balance beam, I have no control. Yeah, and so you get anxious, and so ever since that moment i've tried to prove god wrong (laughs) that there are moments in life where being anxious helps Mm -hmm. no they're not no and i've even talked to people in the military i've talked to surgeons yeah i've talked to i've like challenged people is there anything any moment in your life where being anxious has helped the -hmm. situation Mm -hmm.
2: nope wow yeah it just kind of gets in the way it does and it holds you back
3: and it makes you clouded, right. and it makes you tense, and mm-hmm. it makes you unable to process clearly. Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: Yeah, it must be incredibly inspiring for your uh, your young athletes to have been part of your recovery and and your story, and to, to you know a living testament of of beating a deadly disease.
3: It was great. Yeah. It was great to go through that year with them. Yeah. In fact, one of my favorite stories and memories of that time mm-hmm. is when i told them in a team meeting mm-hmm. they start looking at my breasts right Yeah. so i get this wild idea that it was my the tumor was on the outside of my right breast and i was like these are young women and this tumor does not feel like anything like we're told like we're told to feel for a hard round pea-sized shape this felt like it was a long pulled muscle hmm. i have an opportunity to have my athletes feel what a malignant tumor feels like Hmm. so i invited them to feel the tumor so one of them comes up i think it was sam peshek and Mm -hmm. she says whoa this is weird. I'm feeling Miss Val's breast. I said no. I didn't invite you to feel my breast. I invited you to feel what a malignant tumor feels like. And at that moment, sirens are going off in my head. Like HR is going to yeah. come down here and fire my ass yeah, on I, the spot.
2: Yeah, I, I could see my wife uh, kind of Seriously, getting a little then excited about And at that moment, that. you know yeah. what?
3: I felt this was too important of a teaching moment. I was I was willing to put yeah. my job on the line for that.
2: Wow. <laughs> I, I assume HR didn't come down. They didn't. With, uh, yeah,
3: and they don't really like it when I tell that story, but it is
2: a true story. <laughs> That's a great story. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful story. And if I had a daughter in that same situation scenario, I would be grateful yeah. to a person like you who would uh, treat treat the the disease with dignity. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely, and, and the fact that look. This is an opportunity now. All the optimism that you're... Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing.
1: All right, that wraps up another amazing Legends of Sport Friday. What an amazing partnership this has been. We have a very special guest for you guys next week. Byron Scott, Lakers legend, will be uh, joining us on Legends of Sport Friday. So can't tell you guys how thrilled we are again with this a partnership. And uh, just a great way to close out the week and for you guys to kind of tune in if you can't tune in friday tune in over the weekend but again legends of sport friday every friday right here on the arash markazi show presented by the sporting tribune so that's all the time for we have for today let's do it again next week until then this is arash markazi saying stay safe stay healthy this is the Arash Markazi Show on the mightier ten ninety ESPN Everybody radio. So hustle for the cash, so it's hard to knock it. Everybody got their own thing, currency chasing worldwide through the hard times, worrying faces, shed tears as we bury brothers close to heart. What was a friend now? A ghost in the dark Hard part about a brother got smoked by a fiend. Turn up loss on the blind to a broken man's dream. A hard lesson, cold cases keep them guessing. Blea bargain ain't an option now, so I'm stressing. Court for more to be free than a life in the pen Making money off of cuss words Writing again Learn
0: how to take ahead head So I fight with my pen Late night Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.